This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll This is a story for Yud Bes Yud Gimel Tammuz, which is the festival of liberation for the Friedeke Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was released from prison on this day. This is a story that took place in the Bronx in New York in 1957. There was a chassid who was going around collecting tzedakah for an organization called Ezras Achim. It was an American organization that sent food to Jews in the Soviet Union. And he came into a shul in the Bronx Sitting there was the rabbi of the shul, the only person in the shul at the time, learning from a volume of the Talmud. This was Rabbi Rabinowitz. So the chassid went over and wanted to speak with him about the organization. And the rabbi said, come sit down at this table. And the table, he said, was used for the third meal on Shabbos. And the rabbi sat next to the table. And the chassid sat at the head of the table to be close to the rabbi so the two of them could talk. When Rabbi Rabinowitz saw the chassid sitting in the chair at the head of the table, said, I'm sorry, my friend, but no one's allowed to sit in that chair. And the chassid said, really, why? The rabbi said, it's a long story. If you have time, I'm happy to tell it to you. And the chassid was very curious. So he sat down on a different chair. And he said to the rabbi, please tell me the story. And this is the story that Rabbi Rabinowitz told. He said, I'm from a Hasidic family from Poland. And when World War II broke out, I was able to escape across the Russian border. And I came across a large group of Chabad Hasidim who were going to Samarkand in Bukharia, when I saw their misiut nefesh, the self-sacrifice that they were making for Torah and mitzvot, I felt very connected to this group. And when the war ended, I wandered from place to place, until eventually in 1949, I ended up in New York. And since I was so close to these Russian Chabad Hasidim, and I knew that their rabbi, their rebbe, was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch, and here I was in New York, I wanted to meet the rebbe. So I was able to arrange a yechidus, a private audience with the Rebbe. And when I told the Rebbe about my experience in the war, the Rebbe wanted to know everything about the Hasidim I had met. I told him how difficult it had been and the suffering that I had witnessed. And the Rebbe started crying right in front of me. And after the Rebbe stopped crying, he said to me, so what are your plans here in America? And Rabbi Rabinowitz, he said, I always wanted to be a rabbi. But here in America, it doesn't seem like anyone wants a European-style rabbi. So I'm probably going to work in a factory. And the Rebbe said, no, no, your job is not to work in a factory. You have to remain in the Torah framework. You should serve as a community rabbi. And so I took the Holy Rebbe's advice and started looking for rabbinical positions. But since my English wasn't so great, nobody wanted a Yiddish-speaking rabbi. And I went back to the Rebbe and I told him, nobody wants a Yiddish-speaking rabbi. But the Rebbe said, you keep looking. And eventually, six months later, I discovered this shul. And in this shul, everyone spoke Yiddish. And they liked me. So they offered me the job. I went back to Brooklyn to tell the Rebbe and ask him if I should take the job. And the Rebbe gave me a strange answer. He said, a shul is a shul, but I don't like the shamish. That's what he said. The shul is a shul, but I don't like the person who manages the shul. I asked the Rebbe again, what am I supposed to do? But the Rebbe only repeated his words. And I couldn't understand, so I asked him a third time. And the Rebbe said the same thing. And then finally he said to me, okay, you can take the job. And after I started the job and was there for a little while, I understood what the Rebbe was talking about. The Shamash, he had a long beard and looked like a serious religious guy. 
But then I realized his behavior didn't match his look. And then once when Shabbos had already begun, I saw him lighting the candles in the shul. And I shouted at him. And after that, he just made trouble for me all the time. Whether it was a shul meeting or with the congregants in the shul. And over time, he succeeded in getting half the congregation against me. After a while, I couldn't take it anymore. So I went to see the Rebbe. And I asked the Rebbe for permission to quit. And the Rebbe said, no, I don't give you permission to quit. Didn't I tell you? A shul is a shul. But I don't care for the shamash. Don't leave. You're supposed to be there. And unfortunately, the situation got worse and worse. And the shamash made my life even more miserable. And so once again, I went back to the Rebbe and I said, Please, Rebbe, you have to help me. And the Rebbe said, Remember, a shul is a shul with everything that belongs to it. And as I was leaving, the Rebbe called me at the door and he said, Also, you should come here Sunday morning. I didn't know why he said that, but I came Sunday anyhow. There was a huge funeral taking place the day before Shabbos, on the 10th of Shvat in 1950. The Rebbe had passed away. And then I understood that the Rebbe knew that he was going to die, and he wanted me to be there. So he had invited me to his own funeral. A year later, things were worse in the shul, and I heard that the Rebbe Rayatza's younger son-in-law had accepted and become the next Rebbe. So I went to visit him, and as soon as I finished speaking, the Rebbe said to me, isn't it so that my father-in-law, the Rebbe, said to you that a shul is a shul and he didn't care for the shamash? Rabbi Rabinowitz, he said, I was stunned. I couldn't even speak. How could the Rebbe possibly know what his father-in-law had told me in a private conversation that nobody else had overheard? And then the Rebbe continued, this means that he can't remain the shamash because my father-in-law does not approve of him. But Rabbi Rabinowitz said, I don't have the authority to fire him. And the Rebbe smiled and he said, No, when you catch him doing something wrong, then you can have him fired. And so I left the Rebbe's office and returned to the shul in the Bronx. And the next morning on the way to shul, I saw one of the leaders of the congregation. And I was surprised because he didn't usually come early to the weekly minion. And when we entered the shul together, we saw something that shocked us. The shamish was taking all of the money out of all the tzedakah boxes in the shul and putting it into his pocket. Here's an important member of the shul who normally didn't come to shul early and he's there with me watching the shamash stealing the money from the shul. After that, the shamash was fired, just like the Rebbe said. And several years passed and the shul started to grow, but then there was a new problem. Years before, there was a butcher shop next to the shul and we shared a wall with the butcher shop. As the owner's business grew and became more successful, he decided to move his store to a larger store across the street and he offered to sell his old shop to the shul. The shul was happy to buy it because the shul was growing and we needed space to expand. However, for one reason or another, the contract was never signed, even though the butcher was paid by the shul. And one day, all of a sudden, the owner of the butcher shop comes and he demands that the shul return half of the property, the property that we had bought from him, to him. He claimed that he never sold it to us and that he never received any money. And even though we had no proof because we didn't sign a contract, we knew that we had paid him. And so the butcher took us to court. And he won because the property was still in his name. And after the verdict from the court, we got an eviction notice. We would have to leave the shul. So I went to Brooklyn to the Rebbe and I asked him what we should do. And the Rebbe just looked at me and smiled. And he said, it seems that you're not a chassid, Rabbi Rabinowitz. My father-in-law, the Rebbe, he said that a shul is a shul 
with everything that belongs to it. It's not possible to turn a shul into a butcher shop. So Rabbi Rabinowitz left. He didn't really understand what the message meant, but he was hopeful. And the night before they were supposed to be kicked out of the shul, Rabbi Rabinowitz had a dream. And in the dream, he saw the Friedrich Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, of blessed memory, sitting at the head of this table that the Chassid and Rabbi Rabinowitz were sitting at right then. And standing next to the Rebbe Rayatz was the present Rebbe, Rabbi Benachem Mendel Schneerson. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak was staring and smiling at Rabbi Rabinowitz with a shining face. And he said, a shul is a shul, and it will never be turned into a butcher shop. Rabbi Rabinowitz said he woke up, and he was confused. And he looked at the clock and he said, eight o'clock. The rabbi was always in shul by six o'clock in the morning. So he ran as fast as he could to get to shul because he knew that they were being evicted from the shul then. And he saw a policeman pulling benches of the shul out onto the street. And there was a large crowd there watching. And suddenly they heard an ambulance coming. And it stopped right outside the butcher shop across the street. And the members of the shul went over to see what was going on. And when the rabbi went in, there was the owner laying on the ground, unconscious and bleeding. A large beam from the ceiling had fallen right on his head. And the men from the ambulance, they put him on a stretcher. And just then, he opened his eyes. And he looked at Rabbi Rabinowitz. And he said, Rabbi, please save me. I admit it. I did sell you my old shop. I received all the money. Tell the police to leave the shul alone. And there were so many witnesses there, besides the rabbi, that the court order was overturned. So Rabbi Rabinowitz turned to the chassid, who was crying after hearing the story. And he said, so you see, from then on, nobody sits in the chair at the head of the table, because that's the chair in my dream on which the Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of blessed memory, sat and saved our shul.